What is the book, The Case for Christ, author Lee Strobel calls the most influential book you will read this year? Find out on today's episode of A View from the Wall. Join I Am A Watchman Ministries Managing Editor Joe Kerr with co-host Dylan Burroughs, bringing you a fascinating discussion regarding the importance of Bible prophecy and Christian living today as it relates to our responsibility as believers to be watchmen. This is A View From The Wall. Welcome to A View From The Wall. I'm Dylan Burroughs along with Joseph Kerr, and we are honored to join you today. Maybe you've seen this yourself. A new movement of progressive Christians claim to have a better, up-to-date version of the faith to match the needs of our time. But are the claims of progressive Christianity true, or is it something else? Well, today we're joined by Elisa Childers, author of the new book, Another Gospel, that examines the growing influence of progressive Christianity. Some of you may know Elisa from her years with the popular band Zoe Girl. I know I was at a couple of Zoe Girl concerts and love the energy and focus on God through music. But more recently, Elisa has become known for her blogging and her new book to help those with doubts about their faith. Elisa, welcome to A View from the Wall. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, We're blessed to have you with us here today. And I want to begin with a focus on your own story. So if you would take a moment to tell us about your personal journey that demonstrated the need to distinguish between the true gospel versus a false gospel and led you to the work that you're doing today, including your new book called Another Gospel. Yeah, I never dreamed I would ever be writing a book. If you would have asked me a decade ago that what I'd be doing, I, I would probably not have dreamed it would be writing a book or having a blog or a podcast. So it's definitely an unusual story. Yes. But I was uh, I was raised in a Christian home with by wonderful Christian parents. I've loved Jesus as long back as, as far back as I can remember. I honestly don't even remember a time when I wasn't aware of His presence and I didn't love Him and I wasn't reading the Bible and and especially with the Bible, I have loved the Bible ever since I was a little girl. I knew that just from a very young age that this book was true, that this was the Word of God, and I could live my life by this book. And so I never really went through any kind of significant doubt about what I believed about Christianity all throughout my childhood, even into my young adulthood, into my time with Zoe Girl, which was such an amazing experience, getting to encourage young girls all around the country uh, to stay strong in their walk with the Lord. And so it really wasn't until after that was all done and over that I was invited to be a part of a type of inner circle type study group at a local church here in Tennessee where I live. And it was in the context of this class that the pastor revealed that he was actually an agnostic. He wasn't sure about what he believed about Christianity. And so all of these skeptical claims were brought up in this class, uh, questioning the virgin birth and the resurrection and the reliability of the Bible, things you would actually expect atheists to be bringing up, but this was a group of Christians. It was very confusing, and it essentially sent me into a really dark time of doubt in my life. And uh, so I started digging for answers and trying to figure out if what I've believed all my life is a lie or if it's true. And so a few years after that, uh, the church that I was at where that class took place went on to identify itself as a progressive Christian community. Then I saw that phrase pop up everywhere, progressive Christianity. And it was then that I realized, oh, that's what was going on. This is this is progressive Christianity. And so it was through discovering apologetics that God rebuilt my faith 
And so today I blog and I wrote my book to essentially help other people to address this movement of progressive Christianity that is really invading the church. Now, cultural shifts happen, Alisa, over the centuries, many times as different generations grow up and things change. Music changes, culture changes, politics change, hairstyles change, thank God, and um, many other things. So this is a gradual and progressive thing that kind of swings as a pendulum. Now that you have been doing some speaking and some teaching on this subject, do you see this other places? And, And what are some specific things that you're observing as you travel and talk? Most progressive Christians are coming out of the evangelical church, so they're actually walking away from something. So many people have experienced, maybe uh, they've witnessed hypocrisy in their church, or they've gone through some kind of a, a spiritual abuse, or maybe it's just, like you mentioned, culture changing. Maybe they're feeling the cultural pressure to to cave on issues of morality and biblical sexuality, and so there's this movement just waiting to say, hey, we'll accept you, we'll love you, we won't judge you. You can kind of make your own rules. We're not gonna. We're not gonna be united around a certain belief or a creed, but we're gonna just be united around what they would describe as loving people and not judging people. You don't really have to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. You don't have to believe the Bible is the Word of God. In fact, largely speaking, in the progressive movement, the Bible is not seen as authoritative. It's not seen as the inspired Word of God. In fact, very often you'll hear phrases like, well, I don't know if I agree with Paul, what he wrote in First Corinthians or what he may have written elsewhere. And so the progressive Christian has permission to essentially look at the Bible and say, well, hey, this gives us a really good picture of what those guys believed about God in their times and places. But it's not necessarily authoritative for my life. And in fact, in a, in a book that's in the progressive movement called A New Kind of Christianity, the author Brian McLaren actually says, hey, we've come to a higher and wiser view of God today. So we can look back on on doctrines that were formulated in the first century, doctrines that were formulated by the biblical writers, and say, hey, I think God's saying something new and something different. We've progressed beyond those things today. Yes, and I think that's really the danger is people present this as being something that's new and innovative and better, but essentially it's changing the key teachings of the Christian faith. And when we come back, we'll talk more about the changes in progressive Christianity and what prompted Elisa Childers to write the book Another Gospel when we return here on A View from the Wall. Stick with us. From I Am a Watchman Ministries, here's today's I Am a Watchman Minute. About 3,000 years ago, a young David stepped out on the battlefield to face the mighty giant Goliath. The epic battle has become well known inside and outside the church. What's amazing to me about this story is not David's aim, but his faith. It was precisely because his faith was greater than his fear that David had the victory. Now, when your problem is great and it seems like a giant is in your path, what do you see? A giant that's a problem that's too big to overcome? Or are you like David and see a giant that's a target that's too big to miss? Have faith. Strive to see things through eyes of faith. And remember, the I'm a Watchman ministry is here to help you grow and be the overcomer that God wants you to be. Be bold. Be faithful. Be a Watchman. Iamawatchman.com
Welcome back to A View from the Wall. We are here with Elisa Childers, author of Another Gospel, and we've been sharing about her personal story and experiences in a church that has changed from a traditional evangelical church to a church that embraces progressive Christianity. And some of you listening may be able to closely relate. Perhaps you've been in a church like this. Perhaps you're in a church like that now. And if you are, this is the program for you. So I hope you will listen closely Elisa, there are so many religious terms that are out there today, and many of them sound positive, they sound valid. So let's be clear when we talk with our listeners about what we mean when we say progressive Christianity. What is progressive Christianity? What would you say are some of its key beliefs? Yeah, and that's the key question. And so just to give you a helicopter flyover about what progressive Christianity is, and then maybe we can dig down a little more into Um, going deeper. But essentially speaking, what progressive Christianity is, is it's a group of Christians that are springing up and out of the evangelical church that are questioning core doctrines like the resurrection, the virgin birth. They're largely casting the Bible aside as not necessarily authoritative for my life. They're redefining words like love, whereas biblically love rejoices in the truth. You know, love can't rejoice in anything that contradicts God's holiness. But they're re- redefining that word along with culture to mean love is affirmation and acceptance of whatever somebody wants to do or believe or behave like. It's largely universalist. So uh, you're not going to find a lot of progressive Christians that would agree that hell exists in any kind of a meaningful sense. It's very pluralistic. So progressive Christians aren't going to want to tell somebody from another religion that, they, that they're wrong about God. So they view everybody sort of coming from the same source and going to the same place. So there's not going to be a lot of uh, evangelism or proselytizing trying to convince people to believe in Jesus, because it's really just not about that. So I think at, at its core, it's just, it's not about what you believe. It's just about what you do. It's about uh, doing acts of service in the world and loving people, but it's not about what you believe regarding Jesus in the Bible and about God. And so When I first started investigating this movement, it was really hard to define. It was hard to pin them down because of the fact that they're not really uh, united around creeds, which historically, going back to the first century, Christians have always been creedal. It's always been a, a, a faith system that's based on beliefs. And of course, conversations are to, can be had about those beliefs and informing our actions, of course. They're not just intellectual propositions or boxes that we're checking off to get to heaven, but that's a different conversation. But, but it's been creedal. It's been based on belief. But as I did this research for two years, reading books and listening to the blogs and uh, the podcasts and, the, and the, um, the audiobooks and all of this, I discovered that they really do have some really core tenets. And so one of the main beliefs in progressive Christianity is uh, a, a shift in their view of gay marriage and LGBTQ relationships. So progressive Christians are going to be very much affirming of those relationships. They're going to say, this is, you know, God celebrates this. The Bible is in favor of this. And some would say that it doesn't matter what the Bible says about it, but we know that, that this is something that's good and holy and true. So that's one tenet. Another uh, has to do with their view of the cross. So historically speaking, going back to the earliest creed in Christianity, Christians have believed that Jesus died for our sins, that there was some sort of an exchange that happened on the cross, that Jesus took your sin upon himself, died the death that you deserve so that you could be reconciled to God. And there's all kinds of language the Bible uses 
that, that uh, you know, amplifies that and expounds on that. But that's what Christians have believed about the cross. But in the progressive movement, the idea that God would require the blood sacrifice of his son is seen as something like cosmic child abuse. It makes God into a divine abuser. So the atonement is roundly rejected in the progressive church. In fact, many progressive books have been written uh, just repudiating that doctrine and calling it abusive. And so they they don't have a meaningful uh, atonement theory. And then, of course, we kind of brushed on the Bible, what they believe about the Bible. They don't believe it's authoritative. You're not going to find very many progressive Christian thought leaders that would say the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a cohesive unit. It's God's Word. It agrees with itself. It's internally coherent. It's infallible, and it's authoritative for my life. And so when you, of course, when you remove all of those beliefs from the equation, then you're sort of left to write your own rules. You can just make your your Jesus, whoever you want him to be. But as I discovered, that's really just creating a Jesus in your own image. So, Alisa, let's just ask the obvious question. Why is this so attractive to so many Christians? And for that matter, so many pastors, why would they find progressive Christianity to be such an attractive alternative to traditional Christianity, the way we understand it from the Bible? That's a great question. And I think in my book, I lay out six or seven reasons why evangelical Christians are finding progressive Christianity so attractive. And I think one of the main ones is morality. I think that as culture shifts on morality, it is so much pressure to capitulate to what culture is telling us about morality, because we have a culture that's telling us we're bigoted for believing in biblical morality, that we're hateful, that we're actually harming people because of what we believe about God's design for sex and marriage. And so I think that the pressure to capitulate to that is just immense for a lot of Christians. And so they have this group of people saying, hey, you can come on over here with us and you can change your mind on those issues and still call yourself a Christian. You can still have Jesus. You can still have your church and your community. And so I I could see why that would be attractive because that would be a lot easier. Uh, Another reason uh, that a lot of people I see are flocking to the progressive movement is that they weren't given a meaningful education about what other people believe. So sometimes they were raised in a really legalistic or dogmatic stream of Christianity. I actually know people who were raised being told that if they wore shorts, they were going to hell, or if they were caught in a movie theater when the rapture happened, they would go to hell. You know, just just really legalistic things. And so then when they went off to college maybe and met some other Christians, that were maybe from a different stream that they were told, hey, these people don't really have the truth. And they met brothers and sisters and were like, hey, they they love Jesus too. I think there was a conflation. They weren't really taught to distinguish what the essentials of the faith are versus the secondary issues that we can disagree about as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so it all just kind of gets conflated and put in the same pot, and then everything's just up for grabs. And there are other reasons. I, I mentioned abuse. I mentioned um, witnessing hypocrisy in churches, and certainly those things are very real. Another big one is the problem of suffering. A lot of people don't know what to do with unanswered prayers and tragedies that happen in their lives, and so it's easier to sort of shake your fist at God and say, well, that can't be what God would do, 
then to submit to his sovereignty and trust him in those ways. And so there are a lot of reasons um, that, that can lead a person to find that movement attractive. Well, that's a good way to put it. And one thing I want to encourage people is to watch for how language is used in the progressive Christian movement. Even that term progressive Christianity sounds positive, doesn't it? We want to be progressive and evolving in a, a normal, natural sense of maturing in our Christian faith. But when progressive is used in this sense, it often means something very different in terms of beliefs and practices. And when we come back in our third and final segment, we'll talk more about applications regarding what we've talked about here today with the book Another Gospel with Elisa children so stick with us here on a view from the wall the rapture can happen at any time you may be ready but are your friends and family spiritually prepared for the coming of the lord what will happen to those left behind we've created a new resource to help you help them it's called the rapture kit Included in the Rapture Kit is a Bible and vital information on what the Rapture is and how to prepare for what's to come. The Rapture Kit also includes eight books on prophecy, apologetics, the Christian walk, and being a watchman for the Lord, plus a number of video and audio teachings all preloaded on an eight gigabyte flash drive. Become more strategic and active in your witnessing. Warn the lost about the coming Rapture and help individuals in the post-rapture world be drawn to Christ, equipping them to become the next generation of ministry leaders. Learn more and order at rapturekit.org. Welcome back to our discussion on A View from the Wall with author Elisa Childers. We've discussed some deep and sometimes concerning information about what is taking place in many churches today. And in our final segment together, we want to get more personal and talk about the churches of some of our listeners like you today. So Elisa, as we're talking, it comes to mind, what are some of the key tactics that a person can use to determine if their church is moving toward progressive Christianity and perhaps proclaiming another gospel in their own church? What should be some of the signs we should be looking for? Well, you definitely want to be looking for a lowered view of the Bible. So there there could be language that emphasizes the humanity of the Bible over the divinity of the Bible, the divine part of the Bible. And so, you know, historically, of course, Christians, we've always believed that the, that God used human authors. He spoke through them. And I think the scripture in the Psalms, or Jesus talks about David being carried along by the Spirit. Uh, to write scripture. And so we've always known that there was a human element to it. Uh, but in the progressive church, that human element gets emphasized to the point where you almost can't find any of God's word or inspiration in it at all. So watch for that. Watch for language like, oh, the Bible is so deeply human. It's so profoundly human. Those That, that would be one sign to look for. I would also look for feelings being emphasized over biblical doctrines or over facts. So when people are spending more time concerned about how a doctrine makes them feel or makes other people feel, or if it makes them feel uncomfortable or makes them even feel maybe a little hurt or, or bothered or uncomfortable, um, that's something to watch for. Things like, well, I could never believe in a God who, and then just fill in the blank. Uh, trying to make God in our own image and that sort of thing. Watch for uh, a lack of gospel preaching, right? So the the God the narrative arc of God's redemptive acts of of 
redemption all throughout history, being the the creation of the world, the fall of man, the the incarnation of Jesus coming into the world, living a sinless life, taking our sins upon himself to pay for our sins on the cross, reconciling us to God, and there being this final judgment where everyone will go to an eternal destination. You know, that that would be a broad flyover of the gospel. But when when that sort of a thing gets pushed to the side, and then more of an emphasis might be on social justice issues. Uh, you know, we, we need to worry less about the gospel, but we need to work more on feeding the poor. Now, of course, Christians all throughout history have been the ones who have fed the poor. We've, we've done those great acts of justice and, and uh, what people would maybe today call humanitarian work. But that's because that was a fruit of salvation. You know, our, our salvation will produce good fruit, but the good fruit isn't what saves you. It's putting your trust in Jesus and his saving work on the cross. And so when that gets sort of decentered, um, that's something to watch for too. And uh, I, I'm trying to think, of, oh, watch for redefinition of words, you know, redefinition of the word love, redefinition of the word tolerance, even redefinition of of uh, historic doctrines, you know, they might not mean physical resurrection of Jesus when they talk about the resurrection. So listen for, for words like that. But that would just be a few signs to look for. You talk about this very well in the book. And one of the points that you make is a phrase that you use called unmistakable truth. You referred to traditional Christianity as following creeds, statements of belief, that there are essential doctrinal foundational truths that we all believe. But there are some things that we disagree on, and that's fine that we do. But you talk about the idea of unmistakable truth, and I love that phrase. How do people find unmistakable truth? How do they determine this is essential? I've got to have this? Yeah, that's a great question, because I think a lot of people are confused about what what is okay to agree to disagree about and what is essential for salvation. And so the way I look at it is a doctrine is essential. A teaching is essential if it has to do with your salvation. So if it means you're saved or you're not saved, then it's essential. And so that's where I start. And and the reason unmistakable is the word there is because the, the Christian gospel is unmistakable. People try to muddy the waters. They try to change it. They try to redefine words. But if you read the scriptures, you read the New Testament, you go back to the earliest Christians in the first century and look at the creeds that they affirmed, it is, it is very unmistakable that Christians have always believed that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that he was resurrected from the dead, that he's coming again. Uh, that we can be saved, justified by grace through faith alone. And this is something that, that we can go back in history and trace all the way back to the earliest Christians. And the gospel is unmistakable. And I think that it's when people don't maybe don't want to submit to the gospel, they don't want the gospel to be true, that they start to try to muddy the waters and make it complicated. But it's just, it's not that difficult when you think about what is uh, salvific, what has to do with your salvation. You know, if we can argue about it in heaven, then it's not an essential issue. You know, we can settle the debate over whether the, you know, how to baptize people in heaven. But if we're all in heaven, then we're all saved and we've gotten this core essential gospel. Well, that's a good way to put it. We only have a couple of minutes left here today, but many of those who are listening are watchmen or watchwomen. They are people who want to finish well in what we believe are the last days. And some of them might be in a church like the one you described, and they're feeling some of the same emotions that you felt during that time. 
Others aren't going to church at all because they're so discouraged, but they still want to be able to help others. What would Let's just take a moment as we wrap up today to give a word of encouragement as well as a challenge to those who are listening to our program. Yeah, well, I would first encourage you that we're not alone. Christians have had to stamp out heresy. They've had to stand up against false doctrine since the first century. Almost from the very start, heresies came in, the first one being the circumcision party, the group of uh, they called them the Judaizers that said, you know, you have to go through all of the Jewish customs to be saved. And Paul was saying, no, 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 this is grace. You don't have to do that. And so there have always been heresies come in, and every generation of Christians has had to take their stand, sometimes to the death. I mean, thankfully, where we live now in America, we're not, we're not, our lives are not threatened standing up for this stuff. You know, we might get unfriended on Facebook, but I mean, that's a small price to pay compared to what some of our brothers and sisters throughout history have paid. And so I just encourage us to know that we're not alone. This isn't the first time in church history that we've had to stand up against a false movement in the church. And then uh, the challenge would be, uh, you know, to really be on your toes and be watchful, uh, be sober-minded and vigilant, as the Bible says. Guard your doctrine, uh, your life and doctrine closely. These are these are things that we are supposed to be doing as Christians. And so if you see this kind of a drift in your friend group or in your church, speak up, you know, ask for a meeting with your pastor, share your concerns from a loving heart about what you're seeing. And uh, I think little things like that along the way can help steer the ship back, but it's going to take everybody. It can't just be one person writing a book. It's got to be everybody saying, I'm not going to let this into my church. I'm not going to let this into my small group. And I'm going to fight for truth, and I'm going to fight for the gospel. Well, that is so well said. And it reminds me of Ephesians 4.15, where Paul talks about speaking the truth in love. We have to do both. And we appreciate you so much for being with us here today. For those who would like more information about your book and your ministry, where can they go to find more? You can go to alisachilders.com slash another gospel. Well, we appreciate you being with us so much today. And for those listening, we appreciate you joining us today as well. And we encourage you to listen again and enjoy all of our programs at IamAWatchman.com or wherever you stream your podcast. Join us next time on A View from the Wall. A View from the Wall, in association with I Am A Watchman Ministries, exists to equip a worldwide audience with biblical truth, sharing it with others, and being prepared for Christ's imminent return. The team seeks to encourage, inspire, and equip watchmen for such a time as this. For information about the ministry and upcoming events, visit IamAWatchman.com. A View from the Wall is made possible by the team of dedicated pastors, editors, and the many contributors of I Am A Watchman Ministries. To support our efforts, give online at IamAWatchman.com and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and join us again next time on A View from the Wall.